This is the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames. Brought to you by Special Needs Family Hour, Inc. For the next hour, we'll be discussing the particular challenges and real-life solutions for families with special needs. If you found us, please know that you are not alone. To find out more, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here is your host, Julie Ames, on AM860, The Answer. Thanks for listening today to the Special Needs Family Hour. I'm Julie Ames on AM 860, The Answer. Our show is dedicated to helping those parents and caregivers who are caring for special people. The theme of the show is the essay, Welcome to Holland by Emily Pearl Kingsley. Kingsley describes the experience of raising a child with a disability. It's like planning a fabulous vacation trip to Italy, only to realize that your plane has landed in Holland. Holland isn't a bad place. It's just a different place. So you must go out, buy a new guidebook, learn a whole new language, and meet a whole new group of people you had never met. Holland is a code word for living life with those with disabilities. My hope and prayer are that the challenges we all face in Holland will make us better people. It has been an interesting time for us in Holland. Our oldest two daughters, Maria and Christina, are on the autism spectrum and have intellectual disabilities. Our youngest daughter, Anna, is in college. Maria and Christina are considered medically needy. Maria has asthma and Christina has epilepsy. We have always attributed all of their challenges to their genetic anomalies. I have always felt that children with autism were inherently weaker and affected by something in their environments. I really did not consider that some of the challenges that our daughters have experienced may be related to the vaccinations they received from their pediatrician. I was sent a video of a speech given by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. this past January. It was an amazing speech. My husband is a West Pointer and has his master's in operations research. He reviewed Bobby Kennedy's speech many times. He spent many hours researching the facts that Bobby Kennedy presented in his speech. He concluded that all the information presented in the speech was correct. I was really surprised by my husband's reaction to the speech and the facts that he had confirmed. He was deeply disturbed to realize that the challenges our children live with every day may have been prevented or at least minimized. Yes, I remember my little Maria saying ho ho around Christmas time and trying to bark like a dog when she was about 20 months. I also remember her not talking again until she was about three years old. We have an awesome show today. Our guest is Robert F. Kennedy Jr. He is the founder and chairman of the board of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. We will be discussing the efficacy of the current vaccine program for children in the United States. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now... Here's Julie Ames. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. Our guest is Robert F. Kennedy, Jr. Robert Kennedy is an environmental lawyer. For over three decades, he has been one of the world's leading environmental advocates. He is the founder and president of Waterkeeper Alliance, the umbrella group for 350 local waterkeeper organizations in 46 countries that track down and sue polluters. Under his leadership, Waterkeeper has grown to become the world's largest clean water advocacy organization. Around 2005, parents of vaccine-injured children began encountering 
Mr. Kennedy's speeches and writings about the toxic mercury-based preservative, Thermosol. They embraced new hope that this environmental champion would finally expose the truth about vaccine injury and win justice for their injured children. Kennedy is known for his fierce and relentless brand of environmental activism and his advocacy for transparent government and rigorous science. He is now applying his tenacious energies and sophisticated strategies to exposing the fraud and corruption within the CDC and the pharmaceutical industry. So, hi, Robert. We're so glad to have you here today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes, and could you please tell our listeners how you became concerned with our current vaccine program in the United States? Well, I, I got dragged kicking and screaming into this issue. I, as you pointed out in the introduction, I, I'm an environmental lawyer and an activist. I ran the biggest, or I still run the biggest, the president of Waterkeeper Alliance, which is the biggest water protection group in the world. We have 350 programs in 46 countries, 350 waterkeepers. Each one has a patrol boat. They patrol their local river or, or waterway, and they track down polluters, and then we just sue them. Yes. In 2005, I was litigating on behalf of a number of waterkeepers in the provinces of Canada and the United States against coal-burning power plants for discharging mercury into America's waterways. In two years earlier, the FDA had issued a study that showed that every freshwater fish in North America now has dangerous levels of mercury in its flesh. And we were living, in my view, in a science fiction nightmare where my children and the children of other Americans could no longer engage in the seminal primal activity of American youth, which is to go fishing with their mom or dad in the local fishing hole and come home and safely eat the fish. Well, many of the yes. keepers were suing coal-burning power plants, and I was doing a lot of that litigation. I was also traveling around the country uh, giving speeches and lectures about mercury and and uh, and children. And I began noticing that there were groups of women who would show up at all these talks that I was giving, and they would usually sit in the front row. They were very presentable. Um, they were well-dressed and very articulate, and they would come up to me afterward in kind of a scolding but, you know, respectful way. And they would say, if you're genuinely interested in mercury exposures to children, you need to look at vaccines. It wasn't something that I wanted to do. I've been raised in the, you know, the, the view of, uh, of the battle to get to win rights and good care for children with intellectual disabilities. My family started Special Olympics, and I worked in Special Olympics, which was then called Camp Shriver. Yes. And when I was eight years old as a, as a hugger, as a coach, but it, it's not what I wanted to do with my life. And right. one of these women, um, a psychologist called Sarah Bridges, came to my house on Cape Cod in the summer of 2005. She brought a big pile about 18 inches deep of scientific studies, and she put them on my front stoop, and she said, I'm not going to leave here until you read these. And her son, as it turned out, Florida Bridges, had received, had been injured by vaccines, had gotten autism from vaccines. Vaccine courts had recognized that and given him a $20 million lifetime care uh, award. She did not want that to happen to other children. And 
I am comfortable reading science. I've brought hundreds and hundreds of lawsuits. Almost all of them included some kind of or involved some kind of scientific controversy. And so I began reading the abstracts on these studies. And before I was, you know, six inches into that pile, I had or I was already kind of dumbstruck hmm. by the huge delta between what the public health agencies were saying about thimerosal, about mercury and vaccines, about vaccine safety in general, and what the actual published peer-reviewed science was saying. And I began calling public health officials who I had access to, people like Tony Fauci and Francis Collins and um, Marie McCormick and Kathleen Stratton and Paul Offit was one of the leading vaccinologists, and I'd have conversations with them and ask them about what I had found out in the science. And uh, and I quickly realized that they were completely unfamiliar with the science and had just bought into the orthodoxy that all vaccines are always safe and they're all well-tested and that people don't get hurt. Right. And, or, or they were deliberately lying. And then... Uh, and that kind of led me down the rabbit hole where I ended up um, writing about it. I, you know, what uh, I'll tell you the thing that tipped me over is that some activist handed me the transcripts of a secret meeting that took place between CDC and the vaccine makers, 52 yes. people and regulatory officials in, 19, in 2002. In 1999, CDC, you know, the, the autism epidemic began around 1995. Right. The vaccine schedule had changed in 89. And those kids started, you know, you don't get diagnosed until you're four years old, usually 4.2, four maybe years and two months on average. So those kids began appearing on people's radars around 1995. And by 1999, a lot of people had made the connection and said, this is coming from the vaccines. And CDC itself was saying, we need to study this. So they got a, a, uh, a, an epidemiologist named Thomas Verstrat, a Belgian epidemiologist, and he added a team within CDC, looked at the biggest database in North America of, of health records from the 10 biggest HMOs, and those include vaccination records and health records. And they said, very simple study. Look at these and see if the people are getting vaccines are more likely to get autism. And they looked at one vaccine, which was the hepatitis B vaccine. And they looked at kids who got it during their first 30 days of life. They compared those to children who did not, in other words, who received it later or didn't get it at all. And they found something astonishing, which was the kids who got the vaccine had an 1135% greater chance of getting the of, of getting an autism diagnosis. So wow. that is called an 11.35 relative risk. And just for sake of comparison, the risk of smoking cigarettes a pack a day for 20 years and getting lung cancer is 10. Hmm. And and causation is generally thought to be proven or indicated, absent other factors, if there is a correlation of two, a relative risk of two. So that would be doubling the risk for, for, for people who are exposed. 
So they knew at that moment what was causing the autism epidemic, and they knew it beyond any doubt. And they they went to DEFCON 1. They, they called a five-alarm fire. They called all of the people who are the leaders in vaccinology in our country together and around the world. People from the WHO, from FDA, from CDC, from HHS, from NIH, and from all of the vaccine makers, the four big makers, Sanofi, uh, Wyatt, Pfizer, um, Merck, and Claxo. And they all met, and, and a lot of the academics as well, who were doing, who were in charge of the studies. And they brought them all together in a, they didn't want to do the meeting at CDC. Because they thought they did it on campus, they would be susceptible to freedom of information requests. So they did it off campus in a remote retreat, Methodist retreat center on the Chattahoochee River called Simpsonwood. And they met there for two days. And the first day, they discussed how the science was bulletproof. And it was real. that There was no way to get around it. Hmm. The second day, they discussed how do we hide this from the American people. And for some reason, which nobody knows, they allowed the discussion to be tape recorded. And the a congressional committee staffer got a hold of it. We ended up getting it through the freedom of information laws. And um, I got that in the autumn of 2005. And really what made me so furious that I ended up kind of dropping a lot of my other interests and saying, I have got to work on this. And I published a, an article that included transcripts of that, you know, segments uh, of that transcript from Rolling Stone magazine. And that sort of started me down the, the road in working this yes. issue. Well, the whole transcript, the whole Simpsonwood transcript is available on your website, Children's Health Defense, correct? Any, anybody can read that. And then, you know, what I, here's what, Kind of the summary of what I learned was, and what I've learned over, you know, over the past 15 years of working on this issue. And these are the things that people understand, should need to understand. Um, we, when I was a kid, I had three vaccines. The children today, and I was fully compliant. Right. The children today get 72 vaccines if they want to go to the school. So, um, and, and so you ask, what changed? Um, because my generation was not getting plagued by death, or you know, we we were after the. the I mean, there was not there were no um, there were no huge deaths from measles or chickenpox or anything like that. Or certainly, right. the virus. What changed? And here's what changed: in '86, in around 1980, the um, the CDC recommended a diphtheria tetanus and called DPP. Right. That, that thing immediately began grievously injuring children. A lot of them were getting encephalopathy, which is brain damage, and then a lot of them were dying. The four vaccine companies went to Congress and saying, we are paying $20 in damages for every dollar we're making on vaccines. We're going to stop, and they cannot be made safely. We, we do not know how to make a vaccine safe. They are um, they are just simply unsafe. A certain number of people are going to get killed and injured, and there's nothing we can do about it. So if you don't give us full blanket immunity from liability, we're going to stop making vaccines altogether. And, Cong and I mean, Congress bought a lot of money, and Congress passed a law. Ronald Reagan signed it. 
and that's when the whole world changed because now those companies had zero incentive to make vaccines safe because right. no matter how grievously you're injured, no matter how negligent that company, no matter how toxic the ingredient, you cannot sue them. So there's no depositions, there's no discoveries, there's no document requests, there's no malpractice suits, there's no mass joint litigation. And the companies that looked at each other and said, holy cow, this is great. We now have a product that nobody can sue us on. And that's the biggest cost for every other pharmaceutical product is downstream lawsuits. Can we take a break there and we'll come back and continue this conversation on the other side? I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. Our guest is Robert F. Kennedy, Jr. He is the founder and chairman of the board of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. We are discussing the efficacy of the current vaccine program for children in the United States. To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637 or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames. So, Robert, you just finished saying, explaining how we cannot... In 1986, the law was passed where no one could sue for a vaccine that caused injury. And you were just explaining. The the companies looked at each other and they said, holy cow, now we've got a a product where there's no downstream litigation. No matter how dangerous it is, nobody can sue us. No matter how negligent we are, nobody can sue us. And there were other benefits that vaccines got. Number two. Not only can you not sue them, but they are also exempt from safety testing. And most people don't understand this, and a lot of people just don't believe it. It's right. the only method that never has to be safety tested. And the reason for that is an artifact of CDC's legacy public health service. Oh, the, CDC, the predecessor agency to the CDC was the public health service, which was a quasi-military agency. And that's why people at the CDC have military ranks like Surgeon General. And the vaccine program was initially conceived as a national security defense against biological attacks on our country. So the public health service wanted to make sure that if the Russians attacked us with anthrax Um, or some other biological agent, that we could quickly fabricate a vaccine and then deploy it to 200 million Americans without regulatory impediments. And they said, you know, if we call it a medicine, we're going to have to safety test it, and that takes five years. So let's call it something else. We'll call it a biologic, and we'll make it so the biologics are exempt from safety testing. So no vaccine of the 72 non-front kids, not a single one has ever been safety tested against a placebo. And because of that, you don't know what the risk profile is, but it's a huge cost savings because safety testing medical products prior to licensing usually costs about $250 million. And so they got rid of that cost. They don't have the downstream litigation cost, and they have no marketing or advertising cost because this is a product that is going to be mandated to 76 million American children. Oh, it's a perfect product because 
most of the costs of bringing a medical product to market are, are gone. So there was a gold rush, and these companies added all these new vaccines to the schedule. Most of them are unnecessary. Most of them have no public health benefits, and they and they have tremendous risk. So many of them are for diseases like rotavirus, hepatitis B, are not even casually contagious, and pose no broad threat to society. But they're making billions of dollars for this industry. So the industry went. I'm being a $200 million industry, billion dollar industry. And, but here's the, the, the worst part is that that year, 1989, when all of this changed, when the vaccine schedule suddenly dramatically changed, we also saw a dramatic explosion of chronic disease among our children. So there is basically three categories yes. of diseases which are neurodevelopmental diseases like ADD, ADHD, speech delay, tics, um, narcolepsy, uh, SIDS, ASD, and autism. And, you know, if you look prior to 89, I don't know how old you are, but I didn't know children with those injuries. Neither did I. In my generation, um, one in 10,000 people has autism, full-blown autism. In my children's generation, it's now one in 22 boys. Right. And, and then the allergic diseases, suddenly peanut allergies appeared after 1989. So peanut allergies, food allergies, eczema appeared, asthma exploded. Um, yes. And, anaphylaxis. and then, of course, the autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis and diabetes. There was one kid in my um, public in my Catholic school growing up that had diabetes, and it was traumatic to everybody in there. But today, there's a half dozen kids in every class. And it's, all of these diseases, so according to HHS, if you were born prior to 89, your chance of having a chronic disease is 12%. If you were born after, it's over 54%. Wow. And the diseases, there's about 400 diseases that became epidemic, and those diseases appear on two lists. One, they're on the list of diseases that became epidemic after 1989, in other words, the vaccine generation. And they're listed on the manufacturer's inserts of those 72 vaccines as side effects. And the reason they're listed is because under the Vaccine Act, the only way that you can sue a vaccine company is if you know of a side effect and you fail to list it on your vaccine insert. So that's the one place where they tell the truth. And they're not allowed under federal law to list it unless FDA believes it is indeed caused by the vaccine. And so they list, you know, some of the DTP, DTAP vaccines list autism. Right. And all these other diseases, and these companies are now making sixty billion a year selling us the vaccines. But they're making five hundred billions a year selling us the treatments for the injuries caused by vaccines. So the six hundred dollar EpiPens, the Adderall, the uh, right, the yeah, Ritalin, I the albuterol inhalers, the seizure medications, the diabetes medication, and if you look at the top 20 blockbuster drugs for those companies, those four companies, virtually all of those drugs are targeting 
injuries that are listed on their own vaccine inserts as yes. the product of vaccination. And it's a perfect business model. You give people the disease and then you sell them the cure. Listen, if somebody gets measles, what is the treatment? It's a week in bed, chicken soup, and vitamin A. None of it can be right. patented. So nobody's making money on it. But if you can give that kid an MMR vaccine and give him epilepsy or Crohn's disease or IBS, now you have a permanent lifetime customer for very, very high margin products. And that is the perfect business model. And that's what these companies are doing to our country. Yes. Can you explain to them like the Vioxx scam and how that has played into other things? Well, I mean, there's really nothing, there's no connection between Vioxx and vaccines other than the fact that that's a model for uh, what Merck did with Vioxx is a model for what, you know, for the corruption that they're doing with with their vaccine products. Because, and a lot of people will say, well, you know, these companies wouldn't lie about vaccines. They wouldn't give us something they know is going to hurt us. But. Look at all four of these companies are convicted felons. Every one of them has um, right. Well, let's put it this way: in the last ten years, those four companies have paid thirty-five billion dollars in criminal penalties, and damages, and civil penalties, etc., for 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 defrauding regulators, for falsifying science. And for lying to doctors, for bribing, blackmailing doctors, for killing hundreds of thousands of Americans, Vioxx killed at one pill that was a Merck's blockbuster product, killed between 120,000 and 500,000 Americans. It was a pill that Merck licensed or, or marketed as a headache pill and, an, and a rheumatoid arthritis pill, but it caused heart attacks. Right. Merck knew that. Because it knew it from its clinical studies. It knew that if it gave that pill to a certain number of people, a certain number would die from heart attacks. And we actually got during the litigation copies of their spreadsheets in which the bean counters said, um, we're still going to make more money. We're going to kill this many people, but we're still going to make more money because we'll sell so many of these pills. And and so Merck went ahead and marketed and Merck did not tell anybody. Merck knew it would cause heart attacks, but they didn't tell people. All those people were deprived of informed consent. They weren't warned. They weren't given a choice. They were told this is safe. Now, it takes a kind of cognitive dissonance to think that a company that would do that, and remember that was in 2007, that a company that would do that on all of its other products, and all these companies have their Vioxes. These are the companies that cause the opioid crisis. These are not moral yes. entities. And why does anybody think that they're not doing the same thing with vaccines? And vaccines, by the way, are the only place that they can never get caught because you can't sue them. The only way they get caught with Viox is that, you know, private plaintiff's attorney is Merck. Because they're on behalf of an injured client. And then during the process of the discovery, uncovered documents they, that showed criminal intent and they handed those to the U.S. attorney. 
Right. Well, one of the questions I wanted to ask you about, because I've got three girls, is the whole controversial Gardasil vaccine for HPV. I look at that and there's the idea that they would mandate that for the whole country. It's very scary. Yeah. Well, Gardasil is probably the worst vaccine out there because, one, it there's no evidence that it works at all. There's evidence that it actually gives you cervical cancer. And instead of preventing it, and even if it does prevent it, it's something, you know, cervical cancer kills almost, you know, they're saying that COVID kills one in uh, uh, three in a thousand people. Right. Um, but cervical cancer kills one person in every 38,000. Wow. It, um, and it's treatable. It does, yes. And it, the average age of death is... 58. So they're giving it to a nine-year-old girl and saying, you know, 50 years from now, you won't die of cervical cancer, but we have to give it to 38,000 girls at 420 bucks a pop in order to prevent one cancer 50 years from now. So the whole thing is like a hoax. And, um, And then, you know, the worst part about it is it's causing terrible injuries. What they found during the clinical trials is that one in every... 37 girls who took the vaccine got autoimmune disease within six months. Yes. And the autoimmune diseases, you know, are horrible. I have a client who's been, who got the vaccine at 15, um, immediately ended up in a wheelchair having seizures every 40 to 90 seconds. And she's now 24. She can't leave the wheelchair. She can't go outside. She can't watch TV. She wears dark glasses all day and sits in a room with the shades drawn. And that's her life. And you know, and there, 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 and there's tens of thousands of those girls. And they, those girls were at no risk for cervical cancer. Now, before she, you know, before it would affect her, and if she, if she gets pap smears, pap smears work, and cervical right. cancer treatable. But what she's got is not treatable. And so, Correct. anyway, that's you know, I'm going to have to to sign off now because I got another thing coming up, but. Um, I would urge people to go to Children's Health Defense and join the okay. resistance. We are litigating on these issues. Follow me on Instagram and uh, and you know and talk about this. Talk about this to your. It's hard to talk about this issue because there's so much resistance against it, so much anger, et cetera. Uh, but you know, there there we have an ability. The world is changing right now because everybody's thinking of this COVID vaccine and. People are willing to talk about this for the first time. And all of the people who have had questions or have had opinions. Yes. Well, your website, I'm going to link um, a lot of this information on in our newsletter to your website, the Children's Health Defense, because you have excellent information and you emphasize the science to and everything you've done in your excellent research. Thank you for being here with us today. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM860, The Answer. I have been conversing with Robert F. Kennedy, Jr. He is the founder and chairman of the board of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. We have been discussing the efficacy of the current vaccine program for children in the United States. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637 or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. 
welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM860, The Answer. We were just visiting with our guest, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., via a Skype audio program. He is the founder and chairman of the board of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. We've been discussing the efficacy of the current vaccine program for children in the United States. Robert was able to visit with us for 30 minutes today in the previous two segments. Next is an impassioned and informative speech that Robert gave this past January. A quote from his deposition. You can't do it. But they've done it with every vaccine. The other point I would make is in 1989, we saw in this country an explosion of chronic disease. Oh, three main categories, neurodevelopmental diseases in our children, ADD, ADHD, speech language, tics, narcolepsy, um, ASD, and autism. These are all things that, you know, I had 11 brothers and sisters. I had 70 cousins. I didn't know any of these diseases. Nobody, I never knew anybody with narcolepsy or tics. All my kids know people with those. Allergic diseases peanut allergies, food allergies, allergic rhinitis, eczema, asthma, anaphylaxis, exploded in 1989. I didn't know, I had no relative who had a peanut allergy. I didn't know anybody who had a peanut allergy. Why do my kids, three quarters of my seven kids, have food allergies? Anaphylactic to peanuts and and tree nuts. Nobody's asking where this is coming from. We know where it's coming from. You know how, because I work with the top allergists in the country. They have rats that they give allergies to, and they treat them with different drugs. Do you know how they give those rats allergies? They inject them with vaccine adjuvants, and then they expose them to peanut oil. That's how they, they, they've known for 100 years. If you want to, if you want to induce an allergy in any living thing, Put, put aluminum in them and put a protein, and they will be forever allergic to that protein. There's aluminum in 60% of our shots. And that's why, and we now know the aluminum is there to make them allergic to the antigens, so they mount a robust and durable immune response. We now know that if there's a peanut oil excipient in that vaccine, that kid has now got a permanent peanut allergy. If there's a Timothy weed outbreak in two or three weeks after he's injected, that kid now has a permanent Timothy weed outbreak. That's why children in the vaccine generation, 1989 and after, have 30 times the the rate of allergic rhinitis as kids who were born before. According to HHS, if you were born in 1986, and they already had 11, I only had three vaccines. I was born in 54. By 86, they had 11. If you were born in 86, your chance of having a, a chronic disease is 12.8%. As the government says this. If you were born after 89, you're in the vaccine generation, your chance of having a chronic disease is 54%. More than half our kids are permanently injured. The third category is autoimmune diseases, juvenile diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis, Guillain-Barre, fibromyalgia, lupus. There's a whole world of them. But again, I didn't know anybody with autoimmune disease. There was one kid at Our Lady of Victory School who had diabetes. One. And it, it was traumatic to all of us because he had to inject himself. 
it was, everybody talked about it. Today, my kids go to classes where there's three or four kids in every one of those classes with diabetes. CDC is just pretending they don't know anything. CDC is the Center for Disease Control. They're supposed to be control, figuring out the etiology of these illnesses. If somebody gets measles, if you have 400 people with measles, CDC will suit up 1,200 forensic pathologists in moon suits and send them out to turn out every rock and question people till they find out where that came from. There's 80,000 people who get autism diagnosis in this country every year, and they can't tell us where it's coming from and where's the diabetes coming from and where's the food allergy coming from. Well, here's a little hint. There are over 200 diseases that have become epidemic since 1989. Every one of those diseases appears on two lists. One, the list of diseases that have become epidemic since 1989. <laughs> Two, the manufacturer's inserts for vaccines. Every one of them. And the top 20 products for those four companies that are non-vaccine, they're blockbuster drugs, like Advair inhalers, Albuterol inhalers, Adderall, Concerta, Ritalin, EpiPens, anti-seizure medications, diabetes medications, every single one of the top 20 are marketed to treat diseases that are listed as side effects on their own vaccine inserts. So these companies are making $60 billion a year selling our children untested, zero liability, mandatory vaccines. And they're making $500 billion a year selling our kids the treatments for the injuries that are caused by those vaccines. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM860, The Answer. We have been listening to Robert F. Kennedy, Jr. He is the founder and chairman of the board of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. He is discussing the current vaccine for children in the United States. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM860, The Answer. Our guest is Robert F. Kennedy, Jr. He is the founder and chairman of the board of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Robert was able to visit with us for the first 30 minutes of the show. Next is the conclusion of an impassioned and informative speech that Robert gave this past January about the vaccine program for children in the United States. And the question is, in a democracy, how do we stop this? And if... If somebody allowed me on TV to do this talk, it would be over. So they, because a lot of people would say, holy, they're, they're all, everybody's subsumed in the orthodoxy. 
Everybody is just believing what they're being told again and again. Vaccines are safe and effective. People who don't like them are anti, who question that are anti-vax. They're, da- they're dangerous, evil. Don't listen to them. Shut them up. Quiet them. Don't let them talk. Hey, I'm not anti-vaccine. I said to somebody today, I've been fighting to get mercury out of fish for 30 years. Nobody called me any fish. I just want safe fish. I, I used to be fighting for fuel economy standards in automobiles. And when I, I would go on the Hannity show and, and debate those guys, and Sean Hannity would say to people, he's any car. He, he wants you guys to be driving on bicycles. I was like, he knows that's not true. I just want to have fuel-efficient cars. I want market discipline, you know, in the automobile industry where people are paying the true cost of gasoline. It was a way, it was a technique of making me look crazy so he could shut me up, so he could justify censoring me. And that's why they call all these mothers anti-vax. How, what kind of cruelty is it to tell a mother of an intellectually disabled person the kid who is trying to figure out what happened and the mother by the way knows what happened to her baby and you know why is it and particularly my party the democratic party we're supposed to be the party that is finally listening to women what happened they're listening to Merck they're not listening to women and by the way what happened to my body my choice What happened to, you know, we're against censorship. What happened to, we're for jury trials when somebody injures you. You know, all these basic values of our society of standing up for the little person, standing up to corporate power, are all, you know, all of that is being subverted in order to expand and increase the profitability of this this global um, racketeering enterprise. And it's very uh, for us the challenge is that we can't talk about it. We're not allowed on TV. We're not allowed in. There's no newspaper that will let me publish an editorial. Even the liberal blogs that you know HuffPost, Salon Slate, Daily Beast, Mother Jones, Politico, which are all supposed to be the antidote to the corporate takeover of our society. They now view themselves as the gatekeepers to keep dangerous information away from the American people, to protect our people from dangerous thoughts. This is Orwellian. It's Kafkaesque. Even if you do not agree with me, if you're an American, you ought to believe that I have a right to talk. If somebody lets me talk, I don't bear any, you know, any animus towards somebody who disagrees with me. That's what our country is about. It's about about trying. It's about ultimately trying to search for existential truths through the ferment of debate. And but what they've done is, you know, it's religion. It's not science, and it's orthodoxy. And people have said to me. 
Now, how can you believe this? Because you'd have to believe that the government was involved in a great conspiracy and all these people would have to be involved in it. And I'd say, well, first of all, we have the Simpsonwood transcripts and there they are. OK, <laughs> they're sitting there saying, let's hide this from everybody. So but also. It's a lot like well, I grew up in the Catholic Church and I am a devout Catholic, but I can see the corruption of the hierarchy and I can see what happened to, you know, to the church where you had these a small group of predatory priests who were preying on children. Yeah. And and by the way, the central message of Christ's gospels was we got to protect the children. He said, if you want anybody who harms a single hair on the head of one of these, it would be better if a millstone was tied around their necks and they were thrown to the deepest part of the ocean. It would be better if they were never born. Well, this is the institution that is supposed to carry out that mandate. And yet you had the priests who were victimizing, preying on these children. And, but then you had the monsignors and the bishops who told themselves, we need to protect the institution. And these children are being harmed, yes, and it's horrible. Uh, we have to write them off as collateral damage, as sacrifices for the greater good. Because the institution is so important that a few children need to be sacrificed to protect its reputation. That's exactly what's happening with these people at CDC. Saying the vaccine program saves millions of lives. And therefore, we need to protect it from any kind of reputational injury. And it wasn't just the priests and the bishops, it was the cardinals, it was the Vatican, and it wasn't just the church, it was the local police who knew this was happening and refused to prosecute, and the prosecutors, and it was the press. If you ever see that movie Spotlight, which won the Academy Award, it's about the Boston Globe exposing this finally. But the real story that comes out in that movie is that the Boston Globe sat on it for 25 years. They knew it was happening, and they didn't do anything because they wanted to protect the church. And that's what we're living through right here. We're living through all of these people who have blinded themselves by saying we need to protect this institution. And, you know, I can go through the history of vaccines and it's, you know, CDC itself said vaccines had almost nothing to do with the disappearance of polio, smallpox, diphtheria, pertussis, all less than one percent. The CDC's own studies, which you can read on my Instagram or CHD's website, it was sanitation, it was electric refrigerators, it was nutrition, it was, you know, electric light on all these, and chlorine and the water and, uh, and sewage treatment plants. It was the engineers who eliminated infectious disease, not the vaccines. And so, you know, what, but we need to have that debate. We should be able to talk about that. We should be able, I, I want to listen to somebody else's evidence that that's not true. Tell me it's not true. Show me the science. Let's have a debate about it. But don't shut me up. 
And because that is un-American, it's undemocratic. And by the way, as we saw with the Catholic Church, it is ultimately cataclysmic for the institution itself. And so, you know, what we're doing here is we are, why we want your support is because we need resources in order to create a platform and do the things that we are now doing really well, which is finding ways to talk to the American public and to redress this issue without going through the conventional press. And we have a brilliant staff, and we've hired, we've grown exponentially in the last two years. Our movement has grown. We at CHD are uniting this movement in 50 states. We are turning it into a political force, and we need to develop new and more ways, and we're doing this, of talking with each other and then talking with the American people. And we're going to win this battle. There's no doubt in my mind that we're going to do this. I know we're going to do it, and I've been involved in these kind of fights for 35 years, and I know that we're going to win this. And we're going to win it in the courts. We're going to win it on the streets. We're going to win it in America. And when the American people, this institution have built an edifice on fraud upon fraud upon fraud upon fraud. It's now piled so high, and it's created a structure that's so unwieldy that all you have to do is kick out one brick on the bottom. The whole thing is going to collapse, and then you're going to have a lot of angry, angry Americans. And the only thing between us and that day when we topple this structure is our resources and money. The more people that we can hire to work with us, the better minds, the attorneys, the communication people, we need to create ourselves as an institution that is capable of withstanding the heat, is capable of returning punch for punch, and that is capable of finding new ways to talk to Americans about this, to make our democracy once again serve the American people. That concludes a speech that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. gave this past January. The complete speech will be posted on the Special Needs Family Hour website. We appreciate that he was able to visit with us earlier in the show. Robert is the founder and chairman of the board of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. To get more information on the issues and the science concerning our children's health, go to childrenshealthdefense.org. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM860, The Answer. The Special Needs Family Hour is a 501c3 nonprofit that provides information free of charge through broadcasts, professionally produced podcasts, a weekly newsletter, and our website. We are supported through donations from listeners like you. If you feel the information we cover today has helped you, then please, we ask you to consider making a donation to keep the program running. Your financial gift can make a positive difference in raising awareness and support for special needs families. Please go to our website, specialneedsfamilyhour.com, in order to donate. And don't forget to like the Special Needs Family Hour Facebook page, and to sign up for our newsletter. Please join us next Sunday afternoon at 1. Thank you for listening to the Special Needs Family Hour. If you've missed any part of today's program, you can get the podcast of this and every show at specialneedsfamilyhour.com. While there, please take advantage of the resources we've made available. And if you're so inclined, please support the advertisers that support this program. Special Needs Family Hour, Inc. is a nonprofit 501c3 organization. More than anything, just know that you are not alone.
and we invite you to join us next Sunday at 1, only on AM 860. The Answer.